Welcome to the podcast, Potables Network. You're listening to Power Bombs and Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN for pro wrestling news and talk. You can also follow us on Instagram and untapped at Process Potables. Check out our other shows on Twitter at Process Potables, at PucksPPN, and at PopcornPPN. Now, our flagship Process Potables had Feeding Time TV on for their new episode this past week, talking about tailgates, cheesesteaks, and what meal they'd eat uh, if they were on death row, plus a a lot more. Very entertaining episode. Uh, Power Ups and Potables, our video game podcast, uh, dropped this past Wednesday doing a review of EA Play, Pokemon Direct, and more. Uh, We have a new Pucks and Potables dropping this Wednesday, once again discussing hockey coming back. And tomorrow... Well, or today, whenever you're listening to this, Monday, we have a new uh, show called uh, Polyphony and Potables, which will be discussing uh, music, cover songs on this first episode, uh, music that they've loved, hated, and songs they didn't even know were covered. So that's coming uh, this week from the uh, podcast Potables Network. Also, uh, of course, for news, blog posts, info on breweries we've worked with, and more, you can check out www.processpotables.com. Dot com. So we got through two nights of AEW and the Great American Bash, well, Fighter Fest, and so much more. We're going to break it all down for you this week on Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network. My name is Corey Oates and I am your host every single week as we recap the week that was in professional wrestling. We go over the news and so much more. Hope everybody had a great week as we meet back here. Uh, have a lot in store for this. We're going to go over uh, the night two. NXT's Great American Bash, night two of AEW's Fighter Fest. I have a special segment that I want to just go over some of the talent that was released back in April. This coming Saturday, July the 18th, they will be free to go. Everybody who is no longer under contract. So we're going to break down where I feel some of those guys are going to end up. But before that, of course, we start every week with our news portion. I don't have a can this week, so let's see if we can make this work uh, before we start this week's Quick sips. Hey, now that worked. All right. So for quick sips this week, I have with me a Sierra Nevada. Now, I've been a big Sierra Nevada fan for a long time, obviously. Uh, Their flagship pale ale, of course, the Torpedo IPA. I'm a big celebration fan. Every Christmas uh, holiday season when they come out with that, they're big on their IPAs. This one happens to be their 40th anniversary ale all right so it's six percent abv kind of they have any notes even on this thing aha uh so here we go it says on the back uh 
Hop Forward beers weren't popular when we started brewing in 1980, but we've loved them, and we knew that we were going to open a brewery. We'd better make something distinctive. It's been 40 years since then, and we're still brewing what we love. This beer showcases the bold flavors and aromas of a classic West Coast IPA, uh, intense pine and citrus with a deep gold color and a slight caramel sweetness. Here's to your passion and the next 40 years. So a lot of times we feature local breweries on our podcast, but I'm a big Sierra Nevada fan, and this is actually tremendous. I'm going to take a quick little swig here. There's just something about Sierra Nevada IPAs, and they hit. This one hits a lot like Celebration with um, the hops that they use. And like I said, I'm a big Celebration fan, uh, so this should be good for this week's episode. So, starting off with this week's quick sips, I should probably make my screen big enough so that I can read it here. Uh, We're going to start off here with news that broke today. So, Charlotte Flair, it was known that Charlotte Flair was going to be taking some time off, but it wasn't really known what it was going to be for. On Sunday, that would be today, she gave everybody an idea of what's going on. The last time we saw Charlotte Flair was on Monday Night Raw on June the 22nd, where she lost a women's title match to Asuka, and then was later attacked by Nia Jax. So, basically here, uh, I'm going to read her tweets from today. Uh, It says, my air conditioning is broken, and we have a little free time. These tweets may be spaced out in a bit, but we're going to take time off. Plastic surgery and boobs. All right, tremendous. Uh, The entire world having an opinion on the topic bothers me uh, more than I can care to let on. Uh, So we're going to discuss it. I'm going to save the history of my boobs for a different bedtime story, so picture it. Charlotte, North Carolina, 2018, a young queen, uh, shortly after a career-defining WrestleMania victory, finds herself sicker than sick at her brother's house. A trick to the doctor tells us the likely culprit is silicone poisoning and that my implant had been leaking for quite some time. Uh, It was one of the worst cases the doctor had seen. At that time, I had a few options to fix the issue. Each option had a very specific recovery time. I loved this job more than anything, so I picked the option that allowed me to return the soonest that my choice, uh, that was the choice that I made. Fast forward to a few months ago, something felt off, I went back to the doctor, same issue again. This time, I'm going with an option that I believe will solve the issue long time, even though uh, the recovery period is a little longer than I would like. To clarify, I do not have silicone poisoning this time. The surgery is cosmetic to fix an issue from a prior surgery. I'll be back when I'm ready, the body will be rested, and the mind will still focused on legacy, focused on this job, focus on being, focusing on being better, always being better, end quote. So, uh, wish her a speedy recovery uh, on that one. Now, while AEW doesn't have a performance center, uh, they have a lot of plans for their future. They've been currently using QT Marshall's gym to house their training, uh, but QT Marshall also runs his own training camps there. Uh, So, Marshall made it clear that he doesn't want it to be just an exclusive AEW training camp. You know, he's opening it to his own students as well. Uh, A fan asked Cody on Twitter today when their wrestling gym is opening. Cody had uh, good news to report. He said that they are planning to open their first official class of students in September. They're going to release more information about how to submit an application soon. Uh, AEW could discover many names by training their own students. I mean, the plan is obviously to create talent from the ground up. And it looks like AEW is doing what they can to make sure they secure a future for their company, which is smart. Obviously, WWE has their performance center. Now, the first real name 
of somebody who is homegrown talent, which isn't even anything crazy, is Anna Jay, who we saw a couple weeks ago uh, lose to Abaddon. She's one of QT Marshall's uh, students, but she's only had like five matches. She's got a good look, good future. She's 22 years old, and I think they have some bright uh, plans for her in the future. And this is just the start of uh, something positive for them. Really being able to stamp, because look at it this way. WWE has really washed up and taken a lot of the people from the indies. And then you look at the companies like Impact, Ring of Honor. They're not doing anything, but they're notorious for having great name talent who stick around for a year or two and then move on to the next step of the company. Now you obviously have AEW, so now they can choose obviously AEW, WWE, but you know, you need those people that you can grow from uh, there. And, you know, Tony Khan has a football background and there's a lot of former athletes that always end up going into wrestling. Just some food for thought there for the future. Lana came out on Twitter this week and announced that both of her parents were in the hospital with the coronavirus. And today, Sunday, Rusev announced that he had tested positive for the virus as well. So needless to say, I think we won't be seeing Lana for a few weeks on WWE television. WWE Network News reported that the company will air a part six of the Last Ride docuseries on July 19th, right after the horror show at Extreme Rules. The new episode called The Undertaker, The Last Ride, Tales from the Dead Man, uh, will be comprised of outtakes and other footage that they didn't use in the first five episodes. Uh, It should also include some never-before-aired stories from The Undertaker. Now, that's something that I'm very intrigued about, hearing some old road stories from The Undertaker. I heard a, a podcast where he was talking about uh, when he f- obviously he was very close to the BSK and Yokozuna was a pivotal part of that. He talked about when they were zoom, uh, viewing a match that he, he was doing before he was even signed to the company. And he begged Vince McMahon to let him work with Yokozuna. And that was just, a, you know, that story in general is a great story. I know that this guy, obviously, he's got 30 years of stories with the locker room leader, uh, full on with great ribs that are out there. But hearing them from him is something that I'd love to hear. No surprise here, but it looks like SummerSlam will join the list of 2020 pay-per-views held at the WWE Performance Center. SummerSlam has been canceled for Boston, Massachusetts, and will take place at the Performance Center in Orlando on Sunday, August the 23rd, uh, according to a new report from PW Insider. An official announcement from WWE was has yet to be made, uh, but it was noted last week uh, that the company was very much unsure about the plan for WrestleMania, and they didn't want to have... Uh, to hold it at the Performance Center, uh, but it looks although they have accepted that the Performance Center is the only viable option here. Boston Mayor Marty Walsh had previously stated that the city would not allow any large gatherings to take place until the, after the summer has ended because of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, which we talked about and knew that that was going to uh, happen. Uh, as noted, WWE is uh, slated to tape multiple events the same week. SummerSlam includes uh, an NXT takeover of it as well. Not a big news week, but that's it for this week's quick sip. So we're going to roll out of that, and we're going to do just like we did last week, and we are going to discuss the AEW Fighter Fest night number two, as well as the NXT Great American Bash night number two, and break them down for you and give you a rundown as if it is a bigger show. So I have my beer in my hand. We're going to take a quick swig of this. Tremendous. All right. So we start off uh, Fighter Fest night number two with a world tag team title match. So last week, uh, I had discussed that I felt that they really needed to give the fans, in a classic wrestling scenario, when you cannot deliver 
what is advertised, you need to give them something uh, equivalent or better to make up for it. In this case, we lost the main event of this show for the world title. So they replace it. I, I had suggested to do Cody and the and Brian Pillman Jr. for the tele for the I keep calling it the television title, the TNT title. But what ends up happening here is we replace it with another world tag team title match. Now, if you recall last week, Fighter Fest Night number one ended with the best friends losing to the tag team champions Kenny Omega and Hangman Page in the main event of night number one. Fast forward to night number two, we open with the world tag team titles, this time Kenny and Hangman defending against uh, Mark Quinn and Isaiah Cassidy. They are known as the private party with Matt Hardy at the ringside. Now, this match, I will say, was better than the best friends match from week number one. Kenny and Mark Quinn start off this match. Uh, Kenny and Hangman exchange some chopping uh, on Quinn at one point. He was just sitting there taking multiple chops. Uh, the uh, Kenny went for the Kataro Crusher, but it got reversed into a very cool spot from Mark Quinn. Um, Isaiah Cassidy went over the top rope with a springboard off of the outside middle rope into a front flip onto Hangman Page. So he's inside the ring, using the top rope, leaps himself over the top rope, lands then on the outside middle rope, and does a front flip. Looked Awesome, but could have been extremely dangerous had he not nailed it. But it was one of those things, obviously, you know, it paid off. So it looked very impressive. Uh, continuing on, uh, they hit a double Spanish fly onto Kenny, but it was super sloppy. You know, Private Party's still young, but they still have a lot of points in their matches. When they try and keep up the fast pace that they they want to have, things always end up going sloppy, uh, is what I've noticed in a lot of their matches uh, Kenny went for You Can't Escape and monkey flipped Mark Quinn into Cassidy. And then at this point, Hangman blind tagged himself in. Uh, and this was when I noticed as well. This match again was for the tag team titles. Remember what I talked about last week. And once again, we're here. No tag ropes on the ring. It baffles my mind. How? Not only is... This, they try and talk about how stacked the AEW tag team division is, and they're trying to make it seriously and make it a, a serious division, unlike WWE has it. And three weeks ago, in FTR's debut, they were putting over how they use the tag ropes. Where are these tag ropes? Crazy to me. So there's still no tag ropes. Uh, so at this point, Hangman Blind tags himself in, hits a shooting star onto. Um, Mark Quinn hits a shooting star onto Hangman. Kenny breaks it up at two. Private Party here goes for gin and juice, but it gets broken up. Hangman went for a sit-out powerbomb off the middle rope, followed by the last call onto Isaiah Cassidy for the win. This match, like I said, it was good, had its sloppy moments, uh, but it was a great way to start off night number two of... uh, Fighter Fest. Now, looking at last week before I even saw this week, I kind of assumed that just NXT was going to have the better card and show and ratings for this second night. And that was the furthest thing from correct. This show was way better than NXT. We haven't even talked about NXT, but for two weeks in a row, 
AEW brought what felt like a pay-per-view, like a big event feel, whereas NXT decided to bring you what felt like a regular episode of NXT each week, but just had a title on it and a different set. Two completely different feels there. Up next, Lance Archer versus Joey Janela. This match got two segments. I can't believe it got two segments. Um, right out of the ring, right out of the gate, the ring announcer goes, Janela is looking for his partner, Sonny Kiss. Right as they say this, Archer here comes carrying out Sonny Kiss over his shoulder and tosses Kiss onto Janela. Janela out of the gate, hits a drop kick, and then a cross body from over the top rope onto the floor onto Archer. And Archer already had to sell more here than I wanted to for this entire match. Janela gets a table out at this point. Archer uh, pounced Jella, Janela. Yeah, Jello, Jelly Nutella, as, as Jim Cornette likes to call him. But Archer pounced Joey Janela into next week. He flew him across the ring. I mean, at the end of the day, Joey Janela is 170 pounds soaking wet. Uh, Janela hits a senton off of, well, actually, no. I missed a spot here. Janela countered Lance Archer's finish. That happened here. <sighs> Janela then hits a senton off the top rope, followed by Sonny Kiss hitting a 450 while the referee was being tangled up with Jake Roberts, who all he did was stand up on the, uh, the, the, the stage with the snake bag. And that was what distracted the referee long enough for all that stuff. A really dumb spot that they needed to get in there to try and, I guess, get some heat on potential Lance Archer losing a match. I don't agree why that needed to even happen. Either way, uh, eventually, uh, Lance Archer hits the blackout, which is his finish, off of the apron, through a table on the outside that Janela set up. He smashes his head, does that spot where he smashes uh, Janela's head several times into that table, and then rolls him into the ring for the pin. I'm glad to see that they are now rehashing and rebuilding uh, rebuilding Lance Archer after his one defeat to Cody um, at the last pay-per-view, double or nothing. But I, again, am not a fan of him having to sell for these fucking guys like Joey Janela and Marco Stunt and people that aren't believable wrestlers. I don't give a fuck if you like Joey Janela because he does really shitty indie wrestling that people think is fun all the people that do that wrestling are like five foot seven, 170 pounds. So together, yeah, the dumb shit they're doing looks real. Not when you have a guy who in 2020 is, he stands out. Guy like Lance Archer, who's I believe six, eight, probably close to 300 pounds. Why, why should he have to be giving a, a even fight to Joey Janela? This should have been over in three minutes, tops, and we're out of here. I don't see why this had to happen. You use Joey Janela as the name value because he's known. He is a known name, whether that be from his crap indie wrestling to getting into a fight with Enzo Amore that went all over Instagram last summer. This had no room going as long as it did. That's all I'm going to say about that. They do another Darby Allen video after this where he does a coffin drop with Travis Pastrana off of a giant cherry picker onto a giant pool of foam. Looked pretty fun to me. Up next, Taz is out here. He's going to make a, an announcement. He says, 
He's out here with Brian Cage. Now, this week, Brian Cage isn't wearing a shirt. And I say that because Taz is a, you know, Taz is a pretty big dude. Muscular-wise, Brian Cage is a huge dude. But last week, Brian Cage was out wearing a black polo, black being a quite slimming color, and standing behind Taz, which made him look pretty small. So this week, he's out, no shirt, in jeans, whatever, but this way he looks impressive, looks like the monster that's coming after the world title. Taz has a velvet bag in his hand, which he unveils to be the FTW world title. Now, first of all, I swore Conrad Thompson owned this belt, but either way, now he names Brian Cage the FTW world champion. Now, I'm sure a lot of people uh, will shit on this. I'm obviously a fan of ECW and the nostalgia, and I don't agree with it being brought out now. I feel that this would have been uh, used in two different ways. One... Originally in ECW, this was brought out because Taz was the number one contender for Shane Douglas's world title in the end of summer through the fall of 1998. Shane Douglas had a wrist injury, I believe, and he couldn't wrestle. So Taz created his own title, the FTW title, which stood for Fuck the World title. And he was basically going around as the uncrowned world champion until January of 99 at the guiltiest charged pay-per-view when he dropped the belt to Shane Douglas. At this point, now he doesn't need that other title. They do a match where he beats up um, Sabu. Pretty much, they they, they, they storyline, say that he broke Sabu's neck and then pulled Sabu on top of him so that Sabu could be the FTW world champion. Slightly after that, the belt went away. Either way, it was not ECW's intellectual property. It was Taz's. He created it. He paid for the belt. It's his. So WWE can't do anything about that. We'll say that as well. We'll get that off the table. Now, for the Brian Cage situation, is we're here where there was one week we had to put off where we're not going to do our world title match. But it's happening next week. So why are you naming him the champion now? It's not like it's a... The thing where he can call himself the uncrowned champion because we're waiting months and months and months and months for Moxley. No, that's not the case. We have one week here. So that's where I didn't agree with it. I would have agreed with it if, like I said, it was a long period of time or perhaps they do this match. Somehow Moxley ends up winning in like a schmage finish. And then Cage basically says that, you know, he should have been the champion. He should have won the match. And that's when he gets named the uncrowned world champion and he's walking around saying that he had beat Moxie when he really didn't, which is a great heel thing to never admit something and deny the truth and walk around with it that way. So here, that's kind of where I lose the, the, the part where it makes sense. We'll put it that way. Up next in a crazy, crazy match, the Lucha Brothers tagging with the Butcher, the Blade versus FTR and the Young Bucks. This match starts off with Dax Harwood and Pentagon Jr. Eh, I'm just going to try and get some of the highlights that I got in here. There was a series of kicks uh, followed by a stomp from the Lucha Brothers onto Dax Harwood. Matt Jackson tagged himself in the rings blindly, uh, blindly uh, teasing dissension early on between the Young Bucks and FTR. Now, there's a double super kick from Matt uh, and Dax Harwood onto the Butcher. All right, so Matt... Of the Young Bucks, Dax of FTR. And then Cash and Nick 
hit the Goodnight Express on Pentagon Jr. The butcher broke up the spike pile driver spot uh, where uh, Nick took Cash's place here and did the spike from the top, but he did the front flip almost like a melter driver. So it was a half melter, half spike pile driver. Pretty cool looking here. Uh, but Pentagon broke it up at two. Uh, they went for the power and glory slingshot suplex where, uh, they do the slingshot suplex from the top rope at the same time, the other guy on the opposite corner goes for the diving splash and they hit that. Uh, but Knox, uh, Rick Knox stopped the pin early and, and this really kind of pissed me off. If there's, and I say this almost every week, you know that something is going to get fucked up or be just off the, uh, just nonsensical if you will when rick knox is your referee which rick knox was for this match so after that slingshot suplex they went for the pin and phoenix was late to his spot so rick knox just stopped the count and it was horrible and they had to obviously cover up for it phoenix used pentagon as a springboard and this was probably the craziest thing in wrestling that i've seen this week it topped that springboard flip from earlier. Phoenix used Pentagon as a springboard to run and springboard off of Phoenix to catch Nick Jackson, who was literally standing on the outside of the ring, but on the second rope. He catches him into a super Canadian destroyer on everybody that was on the floor. The rest of the teams looked awesome, but that was a move that it could have gone horribly wrong as well. And that would have been worse than what happened earlier in that flip. But they pulled it off, looked really good. In the end, Lucha Brothers spike Nick uh, Jackson for the three count. This match was just, I, I can't put over how surprised I was. And I'll say that because there's no doubting that all four of those teams are good. But the thing is, is FTR and a lot of those teams, I don't know how well they would mesh for the first time. So the fact that the match went as well as it did with as many cool spots that they did, big fan of that. Looking forward to seeing what comes out of that. Up next, Nyla Rose versus Kenzie Page and Keeling King. Squash match for Nyla Rose, who wins very quickly. Nyla gets on the microphone and says that she's hired a manager, but won't reveal who it is yet. Um, kind of curious as to who that could be. Personally, I'm not thinking that it's somebody currently that we see on the roster. Just a thought that I'm throwing out there. Quick swig of beer there. And I think that... that's, a, that's Part of me says that it should be somebody that was released from WWE. But I feel like so many of these people were agents and I can't think of anybody who's even out there that it could be. So I'm intrigued as to who they're going to actually bring in here to, to take this role. But I agree that Nyla Rose being the monster of the division shouldn't really talk. She's not, as a person, she's actually quite entertaining. I've heard her on some podcasts and stuff like that. But when she gets to, quote unquote, be her character and cut promos, that's kind of where it loses me. 
I think that she is in a good enough spot where she could just do that monster spot where she stands back and lets somebody do the talking for her. It's worked for years in wrestling. Just continue to let it happen. That's all I'm saying about that. Stu Grayson, Mr. Brody Lee, and Colt Cabana repping the Dark Order, and they're taking on tonight all three members of SCU, Scorpio Sky, the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels, and the Heavy Metal Rebel, Rebel Frankie Kazarian. Easy enough for me to say. Grayson and Daniel start this off early on in this match. Excalibur started talking about how Grayson and Evil Uno from the Dark Order were in the top five of the tag team division for the titles before the quarantine. I guess I agree with that. They were having matches and they were somehow winning them. But then he goes on to say that since the quarantine and now that they're back, they're now they're now back in the top five. When was the last time you saw that fat fuck Evil Uno even in the ring? He hasn't wrestled. He's shown up every week in a friggin' blue leisure shoot, which is way more thinning than the fucking shit that he wrestles in. But he has not wrestled. This is the first TV match that Stu Grayson has been in since being back. Everything that they've done has been Brody Lee for the most part, which I'm fine with. I like Brody Lee. So I'm trying to figure out where they're getting that correlation back because the last fucking thing that I want to see on, on the earth is Evil Uno and Stu Grayson going for the tag titles. Put that match on fucking dark, because I don't want to watch that shit. That's just my two cents there. SCU controlled this match early with quick tags and double team maneuvers. Uh, Eventually, Daniels uh, wiped out the Dark Order on the floor. Uh, Colt cut off a pin attempt by Daniels, which caused tension between the two, despite obviously being on opposite teams, but they're friends, uh, which gave Brody Lee the chance to hit a lariat onto Daniels, where he then orders Stu Grayson to tag Colt in to the match just so he could make the pin. They've yet to do the full turn with Colt Cabana, but you got to think that it's coming. But something tells me the fact that they have been pushing this out for so long makes me think that in the end, he's not going to join, which is just fucking horrible if you ask me i feel and i've been saying this that colt needs the change he needs that heel change and that it's worked before and him working with that dark order could give it more credibility again the best wrestler in the dark order is Brody lee Brody lee was never in the super smash brothers and all that other bullshit that grayson and evil uno did Brody lee is just a guy who wrestled in japan for a long time wrestled in nxt wrestled in WWE, and has a plethora of experience. His moveset, a little bland, but he's impressive, and he delivers a great promo, and he gets the job done, he's still better than all them. You add Colt Cabana, who obviously is a world-renowned, known guy who's done everything. He's one of the top, if not the top, indie darling. Put him in that group, gives it more credibility, and gives you better options of, of legit people on uh, on that side there. Again, that's all I'm saying. Main event of the show, Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho. Jericho is out. Uh, I said that backwards. Cassidy is out here. Hold on. Main event of the show is Orange Cassidy taking on Chris Jericho. Orange comes out with his bloodied shirt and sends the best friends to the back. Got it. The inner circle comes out, which is just tonight... Santana, Ortiz, and Jericho. And they have orange juice. Bottles of orange juice. It's going to come into play later. 
Right out of the gate, Cassidy, with his hands in his pockets, took the fight right to Jericho early. Uh, he showed his mean streak, which was great. He, he took Jericho right out of the ring and hands out of the pockets, was throwing him into the barricade, really taking the fight to Jericho. Um, at a couple minutes in, he, uh, Cassidy went to get back in the ring, and they hit the mad ball onto the lower back of Cassidy, which is the story that they're going to try and now tell for the match, that they're working the lower back here. Uh, Cassidy fires back, uh, and, uh, magically his back was okay about three minutes later. That's the difference, people. That's the difference in wrestlers who are well-trained and wrestlers from the last 10 years who are just trained to get their shit in. And all they care about is what people are saying about their match on Twitter afterwards. Cassidy hits the, and, and I know that Dan's going to love this, Cassidy hits the soft shin kicks, and then he does the little shimmy, and instead of hitting a little wimpy super kick, he takes Jericho's head off with a real super kick for a two count. Uh, Cassidy throws Jericho off the top rope and hits a super lazy splash, very on brand for what he does, uh, at which point he gets OJ thrown in his face. Which brings out the best friends. Because of this, it causes... Oh, Aubrey's out here. Aubrey's your referee. They have to do a spot where she's trying to break up the best friends and the inner circle from fighting at ringside, which gives Jericho the opportunity to break out the baseball bat, hits him with a baseball bat with a code breaker, which Cassidy kicks out at two. <sighs> Judas Effect followed by a missed lion salt. And then, um, and then he hits a, well, he missed the lion salt, so Cassidy hits a Michinoku driver here onto Jericho for a two count. Hits uh, the Stun Dog Millionaire, followed by a Tornado DDT for a two count on Jericho. Jericho gets up, hits the Judas Effect for the win. All in all, great match. The difference between this match and the Revolution match for Orange Cassidy, if you look at two matches that he's had, that has really given him any form of credibility would be those two matches. Now, obviously, the Revolution match, he had his fire at moments. But really what made that match was the crowd and how much they beloved Orange Cassidy and his character. This match was more off of, you know, there's no crowd there. So he needed to be, he needed to use Jericho and Jericho brought out the best in him where he was able to fire up just enough to show the lazy side wasn't all, all there but made him a credible opponent for Jericho. And that's one thing that Jericho can do. Jericho in the 80s could have made Barry Horowitz, you know, look great. Which Barry Horowitz was a good wrestler, but he was classified as a jobber. You knew going into that match, he was always going to lose. Personally, I felt that they were going to use this match for Orange Cassidy to win. Because Jericho's the type of guy that he can lose every match of the year. And as long as they don't remind you that he's lost every match of the year, he'd still be a main eventer. You know, that's that's the magic once you're over and you're in legend status like Chris Jericho is. You can do that while trying to make other people. Kind of thought that was going to be the chance with Orange Cassidy here, and it wasn't exactly what happened, but still an entertaining match all in all. This coming Wednesday night, July the 15th, AEW presents Fight for the Fallen. The matches that have been announced for this show... FTR versus the Lucha Brothers in a match that Dash Harwood, Dax Harwood is saying he feels it will be the match of the year. And he's saying it before it even happens. 
It is a huge class of styles, but I think if anybody can pull it off, it's these two teams. So we'll see about that Wednesday night. We have the Elite, which is going to be the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega taking on the Jurassic Express Luchasaurus, (sighs) Marco Stunt, and Jungle Boy. We have the TNT title on the line, which was interesting because during the show they said next week Cody's going to be defending the title and made it like it was going to be a surprise wrestler. And then right after it went off the air on Twitter, it was, he will be defending against Sonny Kiss. Yeah. In a match that I'm sure, just like everyone else, Cody will make it look like a 20-minute pay-per-view match of the year. Which I'm not thrilled about. Sonny Kiss has had one match, one match on television. And then you're going to bring him out and you're going to give him 20 minutes with Cody Rhodes. I fucking hate it. And then obviously the world title, John Moxley, the AEW world champion, taking on the FTW world champion, the machine, Brian Cage. Uh, This will be for the world title in the main event. I'm sure they'll probably throw a women's match in there somewhere, but uh, that hasn't actually been announced. So we'll move on to NXT's Great American Bash night number two. We open with Mia Yim versus Candice LeRae in a street fight. Right out of the gate, Mia attacks Candice from behind during her entrance. A little little heel tactic from the babyface there. Uh, Mia throws chairs and a table into the ring. These two brawled out into where the hard camera is positioned. Uh, So facing the stage. So behind that where the cameras are, that's where they're fighting. Uh, there's a built platform there that was clearly there for them to work on because it served no other purpose because, well, there's no cameras there and it wasn't even centered. They set up another table out near the uh, this this platform I'm speaking of. Candace attempted to suplex Mia Yim off of this little platform onto, uh, well, through a table, but Mia ends up just drop kicking Candace through it. A little safer spot. I think that the suplex would have been more devastating looking, but hey, let's not kill anybody here. Uh, back in the ring, Candace props up the, t- uh, the table that Mia Yim put in originally, and she props it uh, across the top rope while there's a pile of chairs in the middle of the ring, so I wonder where that was going. Uh, both women end up on top of it, of course, shocker, uh, and a, they hit a swinging neckbreaker onto the chairs. Candace's arm was draped over Mia Yim the way they positioned it, for the three count here. So I I was okay with the finish there because I felt especially after last week when Candace got eliminated first that she would need to get her heat back here and win this match and continue on the feud with Mia Yim. Uh, during the break, Johnny Gargano came out and helped Candice LeRae to the back. Up next, Bronson Reed versus Tony Nese. Uh, Reese, uh, sorry, Bronson Reed worked the arm early here. Uh, the match here was just a, a let-me-up match, per se, after that street fight right before. The finish came when Nice went to the top rope and lands on his feet, and Reed runs through him with a clothesline. Reed then went to the top rope, hits a huge splash off the top for the win. Like I said, solid let-me-up match after the match before that. But that also goes in to say what I said earlier, is this didn't feel like a special event. This felt like an episode of NXT that had a world title main event on it, and it just so happened to have a street fight on it. That's that's all I'm saying there. 
Robert Stone uh, is still trying to recruit Shotzi Blackheart now. Stone throws his coffee over his shoulder when he's talking to her. Just so happens that Killian Dane is off the screen right behind him, who ends up knocking down Robert Stone so that Shotzi Blackheart can ride over him with her mini tank. Why the fuck was this on TV? You're billing this as a special show, and you have a segment that literally could have just aired on Twitter. We're on the fucking bump. Again, this felt like a, just a regular episode of NXT. Johnny Gargano versus Isaiah Swerve Scott. This was a great match. Go out of your way to watch this match. I'll even say that. Uh, some of the highlights from this. Johnny kept the match uh, on the mat early on. Uh, Scott blocked the Gargano's, uh, the uh, slingshot DDT. Scott hit a running uppercut on uh, Johnny out of the corner, followed by coming off the rope and hitting Gargano with a back elbow. Johnny goes for the STF, but Swerve uh, turns it into a pin for a two-count here. Gargano comes right back with a knee to the face. Uh, Johnny goes for the Gargano escape, but Swerve blocks that and hits the ML driver for a two-count. Outside of the ring, Swerve goes for a double stomp uh, from the top, but missed and landed on his leg. This gave Johnny the chance to throw him into the ring post and then hit a Poison Rana, spiking Swerve's head on the floor. Johnny rolls him back in and hits the one final beat, DDT, for the win here. Up next, El Legado de Fantasma versus Brizongo and Drake Maverick. Uh, Joaquin Wild uh, starts off this uh, match with Fandango. Uh, Breeze with a uh, swinging neckbreaker for a two count onto Raul Mendoza. Uh, Drake tags himself in and wants Escobar to come in, but obviously doesn't get what he wants just yet here. Uh, Fandango hits a falcon arrow onto Joaquin Wild. Fandango then, uh, Fandango sent knees first into the steel steps by Mendoza, which pretty much takes him out of the match. Uh, Drake finally gets the tag and gets his hands on Escobar. Uh, Drake hits a bulldog and the Escobar drops Drake over the turnbuckle in the corner. Escobar scoops Drake and drops him in the middle of the ring with a Phantom Driver for the win. Again, they're continuing this on. My thought is, again, I loved the reveal for El Legado de Fantasma, but ever since, there's just something that's not clicking. In a perfect world, in a perfect story world, Drake Maverick, the babyface, would end up winning the title, but I don't see why that would need to happen, because then where do you go? Where do you go from there? So I'm, I'm kind of intrigued where the next uh, step in that is. Quick swig of beer. I've been talking for a while. All right. Up next, Santana Garrett is out here to get squashed by Mercedes Martinez. This match was just meant to, sh to showcase Mercedes Martinez, who wins with a Fisherman Buster for the win. I don't need to say anything else about that. Main event here. A lot to talk about. Keith Lee versus the North American champion... Well, he is the North American champion, and he is taking on Adam Cole, who is the NXT champion in a winner-take-all match. These guys got a lot of time, probably close to about a half an hour they went here. They go at it, and Cole applies a headlock on Lee. Uh, Lee powers Cole up into a bear hug, but Cole keeps his headlock. Uh, he kept the, the, the lock hold, the headlock. Uh, Lee loses his grip, and Cole tightens the headlock. Lee pins, picks Cole up and goes... Uh, to the corner, but Cole counters and tightens the headlock once again, continuing trash talking. Lee ends up uh, taking the match to the floor, 
and he charges, but Cole moves and sends him through the plexiglass barrier. So we've done 8,000 times where people have ran through the uh, barricade over where the uh, timekeepers are. So now we have plexiglass. So we're going to just have people start to go through the plexiglass. Very original. Very, very original. Cole with a neckbreaker for a quick pin attempt. Cole drives his knees into Lee's back and keeps him down. Again with a head scissors, Cole continues to work uh, Brody, uh, Brody Lee, Keith Lee over. While they're down, Cole gets uh, down in Lee's face to continue talking trash. Lee at this point grabs him by the neck, but Cole breaks free and hits a kick to the face. Cole then takes uh, Lee back down with a swinging neckbreaker. Lee blocks a last shot and begins to mount an offense. Uh, at this point, Cole ducks a clothesline and Lee kicks him in the... F- well, he kicks... Lee in the face. Lee goes on and catches Cole for a big power slam, but Cole kicks out here too. Lee climbs to the second rope and grabs Cole by the head. Lee goes on to superplex Cole from the apron, but Cole uh, blocks that. Lee tries again and hits the superplex, which uh, Lee calls the struggleplex, dropping Cole onto the ring. Uh, the, uh, at this point here, Cole kicks out at two. Lee hits a huge moonsault, which looks impressive, onto Cole, but once again, Cole kicks out. Uh, Lee picks up Cole back up, and he's barely able to stand. Cole slides out the slides out of the Big Bang catastrophe and nails Lee with a super kick to just stagger Keith Lee. Doesn't even get him down. Lee hits another, uh, uh, takes another super kick from Adam Cole, which he's still standing on his feet. Cole hits uh, a couple more kicks followed by the last shot to get Lee to go down, and Lee still kicks out here. Cole goes uh, to the corner and hits the pan- oh, goes for the Panama Sunrise, uh, but he, he doesn't you know get the win here. It's another two count. As you can tell, this is a quintessential NXT pay-per-view main event where there's everybody kicks out of each other's finishing moves 20 times, there's false finishes, false finishes, false finishes, but the difference is, is instead of having a crowd of 15,000 biting on everyone there's a crowd of like 18 as i continue cole uh with three straight super kicks here uh lee's on his knees for these uh uh, lee goes down cole gets another two count cole hits the last shot again at this point cole goes against he's not going to pin him he goes to the top rope waits for lee to get to his feet goes for the panama sunrise but Keith Lee catches him, hits the spirit bomb. At this point, Lee lifts uh, Cole right back up and drops him with the Big Bang Catastrophe for the win to become the NXT uh, world champion while being still the North American champion. While he's celebrating with confetti and all that stuff, they pan all the way out and they show in a skybox, if you can call it that, uh, in the PC, there was Karrion Cross and Scarlet looking on. So there's your next program for Keith Lee coming out of this. Now, they've yet to say what they're going to do. Obviously, you could have Keith Lee drop the North American title and do a tournament. But personally, personally, they've done so many tournaments in wrestling in the last four months that I think that they'll probably stay away from that and give Keith Lee the opportunity to keep both belts. Now, what that could mean is that maybe Karrion Cross takes the North American title or somebody else takes the North American title. Personally, I think that the Keith Lee and 
Finn Balor story hasn't really been told yet. You could do that. As for heels, I feel that all the 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 other people, the, uh, the uh, I can't even think of his name, Damian Priest and uh, the D- Dominic Dijakovic, those those have been so overdone. Even Johnny Gargano that. I don't want to see those matches anymore. They need to kind of cool off. But we haven't experimented with the Finn Balor, Keith Lee thing. Just my two cents on a direction they could go. Now, an interesting note. This week, NXT and Dynamite will have competition on Wednesday night. So despite uh, AEW having a big show with a world title match payoff, they're going up against... uh, a UFC fight live from Fight Island that's going to be on ESPN. Not Plus, but it's going to be on ESPN Wednesday night. A free card. FS1 will also be airing the NASCAR All-Star Open. And for what it's worth, the UFC main card doesn't start until 9pm, so AEW and NXT will get a jump start, but the preliminary card will have already been happening for UFC. I'm just saying that. For NXT this week, Tegan Knox. Uh, and Io Shirai will be going uh, one-on-one for the NXT women's title. And uh, that's going to be the big match on that. While, like we said earlier, John Moxley will be taking on the machine, Brian Cage, for the AEW world title on the dynamite end of things. You promised me something. You said you would petition to have a match with me. And what happened? What happened? I'm on the unemployment list. That's what happened. The whole I got kids, I need this job, it ain't no gimmick. It's real. Yeah, it's real. And this is probably my last opportunity. And I hope that God, our friendship, can hold on to this. Because I'm here to take this opportunity. I want you to give me what I deserve. I want you to give me what I deserve. What you as a friend, promised me. We're a three-man band! And that was... Yeah, we saw the return of Heath Slater for one night only this past week on Monday Night Raw. And for me, when I saw that, I didn't watch Raw Live, watched it later... But when it popped up on my Twitter that Heath Slater was on Raw, I was kind of surprised because I know that he's been one of the people who have said that he's not looking to come back to WWE right now. He's been training, he's bulked up, and he's ready to hit the indies. He's a guy who was signed for the to the WWE for 16 years, never tasted the indies. He started in Deep South Wrestling and spent his whole career under the WWE. And apparently, this was a lot of pushing and pulling from Drew McIntyre to get him to agree to do it in the first place. So, execution-wise, getting him here was great. Well, quick talk about it. McIntyre came out demanding that Dolph Ziggler announced what their Extreme Rules stipulation would be. If you recall last week... uh, They are giving Ziggler the opportunity to name the stipulation, but he has yet to do it. Ziggler came out, says he refused, and says that he would be keeping the secret until Extreme Rules. Not wanting to give the advantage to McIntyre, 
He then brought out Heath Slater as proof that McIntyre had left friends behind on his climb to the top. And what you heard there uh, at the top of this segment was Heath saying that Drew promised him a title match on the bump back before WrestleMania, and he said he would petition for it if he became the champion. Well, his where we started off there was he said, hey, what happened was you won the title, and where was my title shot? I didn't get it. I just got unemployed. And he talked about, and we didn't talk about this, but he said that he called McIntyre every single day when he was fired back in 2014. But McIntyre didn't do the same since he's been released by WWE. So we get the match, and it was over in about 20 seconds, unfortunately. Now, part of me, my argument was here that you could have made Heath look good. Like Everybody knows Heath can wrestle. It's just that they booked Heath into that corner where Heath was just classified as being uh, the enhancement guy. Good for entertainment, but nothing more. Never really given an opportunity. And him, just like Brian Myers, Kurt Hawkins, if you will, and Zack Ryder, have just used the WWE to be like, hey, well, you know, my dream was to work for this company. I'm here. I'm making a, a living for my my family. You know, Slater's got kids. So does Hawkins. Ryder doesn't, but Ryder has a action figure collection that <laughs> needs to be uh, supported financially. But the thing here was, is I thought that you could have at least given this match some time. The WWE logic here on their three-hour show that couldn't give this time was probably the fact that, well, why are we going to give time and credibility against our champion to a guy who we fired that isn't going to be around? I Basically, this was used as a catalyst so that then Ziggler could turn on Slater for losing which would then bring Drew back to the ring to save his friend, and they uh, get the three-man band touch at the end, and you had the happy uh, moment at the end there. Loved the 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 promo and the build-up to it. Hated the execution. What else was good on this show? Carrie Sane wrestled Sasha Banks in a very entertaining match. I think this was the first time ever between the two. Now, I'll say this. Sasha was on the shelf for several months, and she was alongside Bailey, but she was never really wrestling. Now we're seeing these three, and Sasha on three. Sasha and Bailey are on all three shows, and they're highly entertaining, and you were getting a chance to see Sasha wrestle again. Now, this is completely my opinion. Charlotte Flair is the best wrestler female-wise, if you want to classify the men and the women, female-wise in the WWE. Sasha Banks is right up her ass and always has been, which is the reason why when you look back at that feud that they had a couple years back when they were trading the title back and forth, it was so good because they are the number one and the number two. They're, they're, they're tremendous. And now that Charlotte's out for months, it's giving Sasha the chance to have these one-on-one matches despite the fact that she's playing uh, half of the tag team champions and the second to one of the women's champions. I'm completely okay with that. These two had a lot of innovative offense. Um, 
Carrie Sane had Banks in a modified Boston Crab with the legs interlocked. It was really cool looking. Um, at that point was when uh, Bailey ran in and got the disqualification from it, uh, which then obviously broke into to a fight there, which gave you to the main event, which was Asuka and Bailey. But Sasha is is just tremendous. I've never been a big Carrie Sane fan, but this worked. So I think they're onto something here. Give me more Sasha Carrie Sane and less Nia Jax and anyone. Just less Nia Jax. Who we didn't see on this program, for what it's worth. Um, in another cool segment here, last week, if you recall, Apollo Crews was taken out uh, by Bobby Lashley. Uh, after a match for the U.S. title with MVP, and he put him in the full Nelson. So now they're saying that Cruz is on the shelf for a couple weeks. Lashley and MVP are out here to cut a promo in the ring, and he unveils the new United States Championship, which looks awesome. Uh, you know, I'm I was a little sour about the change of the. The NXT, not the NXT, the Intercontinental title, but the Intercontinental title now is actually, it's, it's a good looking belt. I can't hate on it. I just, obviously, I'm a sucker for that classic 80s look, whether it's the NWA or the WWF. They all had uniformity. The designs were very similar for the most part. They were all plated the same. They were all gold. They had similar designs. You could tell by they were, they were done by the same people. WWE right now has world titles that the plates are just giant WWE logos. You have two sets of tag titles, one's silver plated, one's bronze plated. You have the women's titles that look like the the men's world titles. You now have the Intercontinental title, which looks like none of those titles. And now you have the US title. Colorful, definitely a throwback look to it. But I think... I'm going to say this is the best looking belt that they have. Send your hate tweets to at Powerbombs PPN. Or if you want to direct me at Corey Oates on Twitter. But I think that this new United States title is the best looking WWE main, main roster title that they have. All right. So I'm going to say that. But Lashley uh, announces himself that he is now the U.S. champion. And... He's going to be taking on Apollo Crews next Sunday at Extreme Rules, and then he will be officially the U.S. champion. Out come Cedric Alexander and Ricochet, who interrupt him, and uh, they end up having a match where MVP wrestles in a shirt, tie, and slacks, and he uh, takes on, um, well, it's him and, and, and Lashley taking on MVP, I mean, sorry, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. It's very late. Uh, for me here, it's about 11 o'clock because we're tracking this uh, podcast for you. But in the end, uh, Lashley locked Cedric Alexander in the full Nelson. And uh, that's that's where we were there. Randy Orton and Andrade and Angel Garza took on the Big Show and the Viking Raiders. Now, Psycho Randy Orton is the best Randy Orton. The problem with Randy Orton that I thought about today is that Randy Orton at one point was the young kid and he was the legend killer. Now he's gone back to being the legend killer. The difference was he was the legend killer when he was 24. 
Now he's 40. He doesn't have many years left of being the legend killer because he's about to just become one of the legends. You know, Chris Jericho, Triple H, guys that are at 50. They still might wrestle here and there, but they're legendary figures of that era, of that attitude era. They are now considered legends. They're people that we grew up with in the main event pictures, and they're still going. Randy Orton is that next generation right behind it. He's only got maybe two, three years before he's legendary. I mean, don't get me wrong. RKO out of nowhere videos are legendary in amongst themselves. But Randy Orton as a performer, the legend killer doesn't have many miles left on that vehicle. So there's an interesting spot here in this match where right away, Angel Garza goes in to break up a pinfall that uh, Eric had on to Andrade. And Randy Orton calls Angel Garza out of the ring. And here's what happened. You want to lose this match? Oh, Garza! You want to lose this match? What are you You're doing? Not doing your match. Garza! 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 Get your ass out of here right Come now. Come here. Uh-oh. 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 Randy called a cooking sugar huddle. What are you doing? You wanna lose? What are you doing? Oh, listen to me, now you listen to me right now. You pull your head out of your ass. Now I know you grew up in the business. I know you grew up in the business. Well, you got a special place in my heart because I grew up in the business too. I'll give you one last chance. Don't think for one second that I won't put your ass in the dirt. You hear me? Now get your act together. And there was a couple of four-letter words in there that WWE conveniently were able to mute on that. But let me tell you. The whole story here that they're building is that Randy Orton, Andrade, and Angel Garza are all second and third generation uh, wrestlers. And that's why the team works so well. It almost seemed like they were working on maybe another legacy-esque type deal. But I feel that obviously they're going to keep them separated. But for tonight, that's the story that they're building off of. But Orton is just in his... The, the more psychotic... Randy Orton is the better. As you heard there, he pulled Angel Garza out, threw him up against the plexiglass, then was choking him against the ring, and then told him to pull his head out of his ass. Uh, eventually, in the end, this, this match ends with uh, uh, an RKO on to Eric uh, for the win. And then the main event was Becky, uh, Becky, Bailey versus Asuka. Non-title match here was champion versus champion. The Raw Women's Champion versus the SmackDown Women's Champion. And in this match, they were given plenty of time. This match had like 35 minutes to close out Raw. Damn shame they couldn't have given Heath and Drew more time. But, again, I digress. Swig a beer there. Uh, and the match was just tremendous. We'll go some, through some of the stuff here. Um... Asuka hit a drop kick, knee to the face, hip attack, and a German suplex, and then another hip attack for a near fall. Uh, Asuka cuts off Bailey's comeback with a, a spinning back fist. Bailey eventually hit Carrie Sane with a cheap shot outside of the ring, which caused uh, Sane to run in almost for the disqualification. Bailey used that distraction to throw Asuka into Sasha Banks' knee and a Saito suplex for a near fall. Uh, eventually, Nikki Cross, who was outside announcing with uh, Tom Phillips and Byron Saxton, and she was ejected early in the match, was now in the crowd behind the plexiglass, 
Uh, so they did like a shining moment where she, they kind of like shine the letter, and there, she, there she is, all behind it, and and at that point, it, it threw off Bailey, and uh, gave Oscar the chance to get a uh, a pin on Bailey to win the match. So real quick to break that down, I'm going to discuss uh, to to break. Uh, up that discussion, we're going to quick do something that I talked about last week. We're going to quick talk about the people that were released from the WWE back in April who had 90-day no-compete clauses, um, and this coming Saturday will be their time to be set free, and where I think they're going to end up. First of all, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, the OC. Now, there's been all these reports that they have signed to Impact Wrestling, and because of that, Doc uh, Luke Gallows, the big LG, has gone on and friggin' teased the trolls and posted pictures of him working out in Impact Wrestling shirts and stuff like that. Here's the deal. These two, you got to assume they're heading towards New Japan. Obviously, along the way, if they can stop somewhere and, and have a spot. Now, hey, for all it's worth, two weeks ago, they were... At the AEW tapings, they were tested. They were there. They had their wristbands on. Uh, that pink wristband's always the the showing that they've been tested. They were all they were back. They posed for a pick with the Bucks. They could end up in AEW for a quick one off. Why not? They they both live in Florida. Well, Gallows lives in Georgia, and Anderson in Florida in Orlando. But these two could end up there. No matter what, I think their eventual spot is going to be New Japan. But I don't think just yet, due to the fact that New Japan just ran a big angle, finishing up uh, their uh, New Japan Cup uh, yesterday, Saturday, with Evil joining the Bullet Club. I think that they will eventually end up there. It might not even be until January 4th, but who knows? They 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 do have their t- their their time kind of busy, but they've definitely been teasing that they're going back to New Japan. If there's ever a place where they made more money, had more popularity, and were main eventers, which is the reason why they got signed and brought back well not brought back but brought into WWE was because of that New Japan run. Their best friend Rocky Romero is one of the top guys on the the booking committee and and behind the scenes at at New Japan. They have a podcast with Rocky. All signs lead that those two guys will eventually end up in New Japan. In a perfect world, they get a deal where they can also work in the States. Again, we'll see how that works. Um, Primo and Epico, the Colognes, you got to think that at this point, they will just end up working in Puerto Rico, where, you know, the Cologne family has been popular for generations and running stuff. They were never really given their stuff. I mean, look at Carlito, their brother. Carlito's their older brother, and he had a great run at one point too in WWE. But he's never been back. And he just kind of stays and does indies and works the uh the Puerto Rico territory. Now he showed up in Glow a couple episodes and was a character in that, but he never really has done anything since then. And there's nothing against that either. Rusev um, I could see Rusev ending up as a big time player in Impact. I could see him going to Impact and then eventually moving on to AEW. That's what I think is going to be best for Rusev. 
I don't see him as a fit for uh, Ring of Honor once they're back up. I could see them actually putting him in Japan. If he could go to Japan, because of his look and his size, they could probably do something special with him. But as you saw with the Rusev Day thing, Rusev's a, a very entertaining guy. So he's got an entertainment sign to him, which is more, I feel, set for the States than Japan. Eric Rowan, if we're going to be completely uh, frank here, I don't know where he's going to go. And I also could care less where he goes. He never did anything for me. He was very injury prone. And he was the weak link in all the tag teams with Brody Lee. Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona, uh, he's AEW bound. And the only reason I say that is you have to look at it this way. His One of his best friends is Cody Rhodes, who the day he was released went on to social networking and did a whole post dedicating about how proud he was of Matt Cardona for everything that he accomplished. Matt Cardona is, is, is a, he's a good wrestler, but he was always held down. When they gave him the opportunity to actually shine, he shined well. For him to actually be able to drop the Broski character and basically create his new legacy, I'm all for it. He's 34 years old. He's got one of the best bodies in a business that is a body-oriented business. And he is going to be given a chance, I feel here, give him a couple weeks and make the debut as an opponent for Cody for the TNT title. Bring him in. Let him go 20 minutes on TV with Cody and have people finally get to see what he's capable of and that he's not just the woo-woo-woo spike-your-hair guy. Because he's more than that. But WWE always puts people into a corner, and that's unfortunately what happens. Drake Maverick, obviously, we know he is back and now signed with NXT under an NXT contract and not a WWE contract. Kurt Hawkins, Brian Myers, he owns his own school called uh, uh, Creative Pro Wrestling in Long Island, New York. But he is always strived on the indies. I can see Hawkins going to New Japan eventually, but he just has a he, he's got a daughter and a newborn. It's a two week newborn, so I don't see him jumping at the opportunity to leave the country and leave his family. But I could see him doing spots for Impact. Brian Myers is a great hand in the ring, no doubt about it, and he just like Ryder. Matt Cardona were never really given the opportunity to really show their strengths. Uh, but his thing was, if they're going to have me lose 200 matches, I'm going to make every one of those matches entertaining. And he did. And then when he finally got his win, it was a big moment. So good for him. Another swig of beer. Heath Slater. Wherever Kurt Hawkins goes... I see Heath Slater being right behind it. Heath Slater, again, like I said earlier in the show, a guy who's never really tested the indies. He, when he stood in that ring the other night with Drew McIntyre, who is a pretty tall guy, he's only got an inch or two under McIntyre, which is quite impressive. I never noticed that before. But he's got some height, and he's bulked up. With a reinvention of himself, he could literally go anywhere. He would be, a, honestly, in my opinion, a great fit for Impact Wrestling as well. The problem is I see a lot of people as great fits for Impact Wrestling, and I don't know how much 
money Impact Wrestling is shelling out at this point. Obviously, they fired the world champion. Uh, but, you know, you got to, with with talent of, of this nature, with the experience they have, it comes with a price. But I don't think Heath Slater goes to AEW. I think that he could go there. Now, don't get me wrong. If the NWA wasn't in the situation they were, I would feel a lot of these guys could have ended up there. If I look at if I looked at this list, I would say easily Hawkins Slater would be great for the NWA. Eric Young and EC3, those two are the two names that I think beyond a doubt are going back to Impact. EC3 after he left NXT with a horrible run back then, he went to to TNA at the time. And became a main event character right away by being aligned with Dixie Carter. And EC3 stands for Ethan Carter III. He was the nephew of Dixie Carter. And he had his best years as a heel on top at TNA. When they turned him babyface, it kind of went sour. And then they brought him in to all this pomp and circumstance at NXT. And that worked out great. But here we are, all this time later, and you have him kind of out of work. He's reinvented himself again, changed his look, even more caught up than before. And he's done great jobs every week putting out teasing videos of going to different companies. But I think it's almost guaranteed that he's going to be the one that ends up in the main event match at Slammiversary next weekend, which we're going to run down the Slammiversary card after uh, this segment. Cain Velasquez, I could easily see him going and doing some more work in Mexico with AAA once Mexico and AAA start running shows again. Curtis Axel, one of the best hands in wrestling. The son of Kurt Henning. One of the all-time greats. Grandson of Larry the Axe Henning. Another legend in professional wrestling. Curtis Axel needs to go to AEW. I feel he will go to AEW, and he will be more under uh, Joe Henning. He will use his name, I feel. He will be Joe Henning there, and they will give him a mid-card spot. The problem with AEW, and I've said it before, is they have a lot of main event people that they have established as main eventers, but they don't want to have them lose to people. Here, you need to build up the mid-card. When you build up the mid-card, you can then start to drop people from the main event to the mid-card to feud with those mid-carders so that you could switch them in and out. This is the perfect opportunity for AEW to continue to do that by bringing on a guy like Curtis Axel. Leo Rush, who has pretty much gone on a separate um, road here, he started doing a rap career and he teased over the weekend that he might be retiring from wrestling. Leo Rush... Big in, uh, he had a little run with Ring of Honor years back. He was big in PWG and on the indies. If he wrestles anywhere, that's where he belongs, in my opinion. He's got talent, but he also comes with an attitude, and that's something that I don't think a lot of these companies necessarily want to touch. He also doesn't have the world's biggest size either, and I feel that that could play against him. But, you know, he's in a situation too where he's young and he's talented. COVID's going on. He could step away from wrestling for a year or two, focus on his music, and then once COVID's over, he could end up back somewhere, get a complete re- rejuvenation of his career. 
That's just an even thought for that. Sarah Logan announced this week that she's pregnant. So congratulations to her and Eric of the Viking Raiders who are married in real life. But needless to say, she's going to be away from wrestling for a long time, if not permanently. Mike and Maria Kanellis. Mike Kanellis, his, his, uh, Mike Kanellis, Mike Bennett. Let, let's get back to it. Mike Bennett. He had his best years in Ring of Honor with the kingdom with Matt Taven and Adam Cole, the original kingdom. Was, was that. And uh, Mike Canales left. Mike Bennett left and went to TNA. And they, in my opinion, gave him a horrible gimmick. Horrible character. His best years were his Ring of Honor years when he was able to split the time between Ring of Honor and New Japan Pro Wrestling. I feel that we will get more of that again from him. He's another one that would be great out there. Maria Canales. I honestly just want to see Maria and and Carl Anderson do re, re, renew the spots that they did years ago, where Carl Anderson was just infatuated and in love with Maria Canellis. Made for great uh, TV and great gifts, which are still used on the internet today. No way, Jose. I'm not gonna lie. I don't know much about No, no Way Jose. I know he was an indie wrestler before they brought him into the NXT system, but the No Way Jose gimmick. It never worked for me. I don't believe that that was what he did on the indies. So as someone who doesn't know somebody who really never had a chance to blossom, I don't know what there is for him to do. And that's 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 honest for that. Give him a couple months with the indies. He's a decently tall dude. Interesting look. He can reinvent himself and come back on the indies and then get landed by one of the bigger companies like uh, the NWA or Impact or AEW. But I don't see him going anywhere or anybody picking him up anytime soon. Senior referee Mike Kyoto. I felt that this needed to be on here. I don't see why AEW doesn't sign him. Fire fucking Rick Knox, dude. Get him the fuck out of here. At this point, the main referee for AEW has become Aubrey Edwards, who I absolutely love. She's only been a referee for three years. And... Originally, their 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 main attraction as a referee was Earl Hebner, who's only really done one or two matches for the company, and Earl's like 73 years old, so you're not going to see Earl Hebner doing much of anything. Sign Mike Kyoto. He's ready to go. He brings credibility, and he would bring more credibility to a product that's trying to establish their credibility. They already have the credible names of Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone on the announce team. You have credible wrestlers like Chris Jericho, Dustin Rhodes, and Cody Rhodes with the legacies that they have with the Rhodes family on that roster and running the company. You could do something with Mike Chioda. Kurt Angle was released, though he was working as a backstage agent. He was still under a performer's contract when he was released here. Kurt Angle, I kind of see him just sitting home, to be completely honest with you. He's 50 years old. He's retired and what does he have to do? They offered him a spot to come in and be the manager of Matt Riddle, and he turned it down. So it says to me that he just doesn't want anything to do with wrestling right now. And that's fine. He's made his money. He's cleaned up his life. He's got his family. Let him let him just live his life. And the last name on this list is Aiden English, another guy who I don't know much about. Obviously, his... In-ring work wasn't much of a stellar because WWE took him out of a tag team. They released his tag team partner. They put him in another tag team with Rusev. 
And then they just put him on the announce desk until they released him. I think Aiden English's days as a professional wrestler are done. I don't think that he's going to end up going anywhere. And uh, that's just my two cents on that. Now, I know we're running late here, so I'm going to just run down the card for next Saturday night's Impact Slammiversary 17. Yes, 17 years Impact Wrestling has been around. Uh, there's going to be a gauntlet match here. Alicia Edwards versus Havoc versus Kira Hogan versus Kimberly versus Kylie Ray versus Nevaeh versus Rosemary versus Susie versus Tasha Steeles versus Taya Valkyrie versus Madison Rain. The winner of the gauntlet match will become the number one contender for the Knockouts Championship. Looking at this card and, and these groups here, right now, your champion going into this is Jordan Grace. She's going to be taking on Deanna Perrazzo. While they've built Deanna Perrazzo to be, uh, you know, the antagonist here, I see Jordan Grace walking out of this still as the champion. So, looking at Jordan Grace walking out, in my opinion, as the champion, I look back at this list and think that the the one person that makes sense for Jordan Grace to take on next, I would say Kylie Ray. You take Kylie Wright and you put her in that spot because she's she's young. She's not bad in the ring. She does a lot of super kicks, which says to me that that's just a lack of, of knowledge of being able to design a match. But she's got a good look. She's very athletic. And she's a baby face. Jordan Grace still being a baby face, but Jordan Grace is that type of baby face that she could have a feud with a baby face or a, a heel. Now, mind you, Impact hasn't had a pay-per-view since last January. Impact's a a company like AEW that doesn't just build to a monthly pay-per-view. This match could happen two or three weeks down the line. It doesn't need a long, drawn-out storyline, so you could throw a babyface into that spot. My pick for that is going to be Kylie Ray. The Impact World Tag Team titles on the line, the North versus Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan. Now, the North are the longest reigning Impact Tag Team Champions. And that beats everybody for one like solid reign. That beats the Dudleys, Team 3D, if you will. It beats Beer Money. It beats America's Most Wanted. It beats the Naturals. All those teams that have made the legacy of Impact Wrestling, these guys have been the champions the longest. And they're taking on two, what you would call main eventers here, Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan, I think Ken Shamrock and Sammy Callahan will win the titles here. Eventually, we'll then drop them, which will cause their split up. Sammy Callahan will then get his win back from the loss a couple months back to Ken Shamrock. X Division title match, Willie Mack versus Chris Bay on this card. Uh, they've been building up Chris Bay as the uh, the heel here, but Willie Mack is special, and they've really put a lot of stock into Willie Mack. I see Willie Mack retaining the title here, and this feud will continue with Chris Bay moving forward. I already went over the knockouts title and what I think is going to happen with Jordan Grace and Deanna Perrazzo. We have the TNA world title match. Yes, the TNA world title, which is, you know, a, mat- a title that was resurrected by Moose, who is going in as your quote-unquote champion, and he's taking on the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer, in a match where Moose will win, but it will get physical. It will get hardcore because that is the Tommy Dreamer match. And it'll be probably the most entertaining match of the card. The main event, the Impact World title, which is vacant, it will be Eddie Edwards versus Trey versus Ace Austin. 
with versus a mystery opponent, which has to be somebody from the past. Now they've been teasing that they could be bringing back the aces and eights, which they could do because the aces and eights was probably the most successful stable storyline that they ever had in impact wrestling members are well D'Lo Brown who was on their writing staff there's Doc Gallows who is a free agent there's Bully Ray who is a former world champion and is currently not under contract with anybody amongst several other people that were part of that group just saying but if you're looking at this world title match Eddie Edwards, Trey, Ace Austin, I feel the perfect fit for that match. Size-wise, if we're looking size-wise, it would be EC3. EC3, because you look at Ace Austin, the smarky heel, but he's a small dude. You have Trey, he is the fast-paced flyer. Eddie Edwards is the hardcore guy. You then bring in EC3, who's the muscle and the power of the format of the four-way match here. And I think that you could easily see EC3 walking out the Impact World Champion and get a complete reset on that character. That's just my thoughts for that. SmackDown, there wasn't much to talk about. I can't believe... There was a karaoke contest this week on SmackDown, ladies and gentlemen, which was used as a catalyst to a match between Naomi, who we haven't seen in a long time, and Lacey Evans which they turn Lacey Evans' heel again. Now, I talked about this on this program before, how they turn Lacey Evans' babyface naturally by her feuding with Bailey, who was making fun of her daughter. And I've said before, realistically, what is there not to like about Lacey Evans? She's a gorgeous girl. She's athletic. She's actually very good in the ring. She's a mother. She served this country. What is there to hate about her? It's very difficult for that. I get, I've always understood the aspect of bringing somebody in as a heel just to establish them, give them some credibility. And then you turn them babyface and then you can work with them from there. I don't see the reason why they're turning her back heel here, but she, they turned her heel. Alrighty then. Um, on top of that, we're just going to run down the card for next Sunday's Extreme Rules pay-per-view because quite a few of those matches uh, are coming out of this SmackDown. Well, all of which won, which will happen on SmackDown next week, where AJ Styles will defend the Intercontinental title versus Matt Riddle. Matt Riddle has pinned AJ Styles twice, so naturally, he will not beat AJ Styles for the title. There you go. Extreme rules card for next week. Uh, SmackDown tag title match. The New Day will defend against Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura in what I will assume will be a tables match. This is yet to have actually been announced. But they're gimmicking the hell out of this pay-per-view. So, that's the only thing that makes sense as they put Biggie and Kofi through a table to close out SmackDown this past Friday night. The United States title is on the line. Apollo Crews taking on MVP. Uh, first of all, let me look at my, my for that tag title match. I, I could see them. Uh, we're going we're to say that the New Day are going to retain the tag team titles here. Apollo Crews versus MVP. Apollo Crews 
will retain the United States title here against MVP. In the worst concept ever, Rey Mysterio takes on Seth Rollins in an eye-for-an-eye match in which WWE has announced that the only way for somebody to lose this match is for them to lose an eye. Let that that sink in. The obvious answer here is Rey Mysterio already lost one eye. You're not going to let him lose a second eye. So, sounds to me like Seth Rollins is going to either A, have his eye taken out, or Murphy or Austin Theory are going to take it for him while he leaves. Because in the end, they are his disciples. And then that just puts more heat on Seth Rollins. End of the day, Rey Mysterio wins that match. SmackDown Women's Championship, Bayley versus Nikki Cross. Again, we are so close to SummerSlam here, and what you got to assume is going to be the dissension of Bayley and Sasha Banks. Bayley has to retain the title here. However, Raw Women's title match, Asuka versus Sasha Banks. You know... I kind of felt that they put the 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 tag titles on them as the catalyst to break them up. But I what I really feel is going to happen here is that what's going to end up happening is they've been talking about taking over the women's division. And they're doing a great job of it, in my opinion, with their promos. Have Asuka drop the belt to Sasha Banks here. Now, Sasha and Bailey have all of the women's titles on the main roster. Eventually they drop the tag titles. Eventually there's dissension and arguments and they're both champions. And it culminates in a champion versus champion match. Winner take all. I'm all for the winner take all type of matches because they're the stakes. And you know that in the end, somebody's going to end up walking out with both belts. Usually... It's always the babyface, though. Between the two, the way that they've built the story is that the obvious babyface coming out of this is Sasha Banks. Should Sasha Banks be a babyface? No. But I still feel it's too early to turn Bailey after you completely changed her babyface look into what she is now. And it's, what do you do with her? So I still think that Sasha Banks should, should win this women's title from Raw, from Asuka. WWE title match is Drew McIntyre versus Dolph Ziggler, obviously, in here. I think this could be uh, the second best match on this card. I think that the best match on this card will go to Asuka and Sasha Banks, but the second best match, because obviously Dolph Ziggler's in it, and Drew McIntyre's a great hand himself, uh, will be Drew McIntyre retaining the WWE title. Uh, And finally, a non-title match. Braun Strowman versus... Bray Wyatt in a Wyatt Swamp fight. Yes, that is happening on pay-per-view. Another cinematic masterpiece, I'm sure, on the way from the WWE. Uh, Obviously, coming out of this, you got to expect, especially that they put that non-title out there, that Bray Wyatt somehow wins. 
because then that gives Braun the opportunity to have a reason to then fight Bray Wyatt again. You can't make me believe that you're going to bring, they're going to do this match and have Bray Wyatt lose two pay-per-view matches back to back and then have them justify. I don't care if it's the fiend or not, which would make sense for SummerSlam. What gives him the right to then get another shot? So it says to me that this is non-title for a reason for Bray Wyatt to win this match. So again, we ran long here and next week we will recap double pay-per-views. We're going to run long next week. We're going to rerun. We're going to run down Slammiversary and Extreme Rules as well as the week that was in professional wrestling. Again, make sure to check out all of the major uh, podcasts as they release. Follow Process Potables on Twitter. Find us on uh, Facebook at uh, the Podcast Potables Network. Uh, which might even still be under process potables because this way you can get the full scoop of everything that's happening with us and our brand and new podcasts that are dropping. Uh, if you don't follow at Powerbombs PPN on Twitter, please do so. Uh, we try and interact with everybody and put stuff out, out there. And we're, we're quite interactive, but we also keep you up to date with everything that's happening on the podcast potables network so hope everybody has another great week we will talk to you next week until then of course everybody stay safe and stay over